0: I want to uh, spend some time uh, talking about an Old Testament story that is very dear and near to my heart. Um, but before we jump in there, you know, how many of you guys go through pressures and challenges and stresses in life? Like, I just want to make sure I showed up to the right church this morning. Okay, all right, all right. There's there's some stresses and some pressures and some challenges that you guys might be going through and I feel like each and every one of us sometimes we face some that are just kind of gigantic they feel monumental they feel like they're problematic conflicts and stresses failures and sometimes there's monumental gigantic even successes within our lives and those all add pressures and tensions within you know our experience and these pressures these pressure points they, they could become very challenging and difficult, debilitating, and all that. And so as we face each of these things, how do we deal with them? That was the question I was just contemplating as I was searching through the story this week and, and just spending some time with the Lord. So this morning I'd like to reflect on a particular person who both succeeded incredibly and failed spectacularly. And the honesty of his story within the scriptures brings me incredible hope. I love that, When God decided to inspire through the Holy Spirit, the gospel writers, the the, the Old Testament writers, 40 plus authors over a span of 1,500 years, 66 books made up of historical, poetic, apocalyptic epistles, uh, and so many different other types of literatures, when he decided to pen this book, he did not just put the highlight reels. He didn't just put the best. This is not a compilation in Word similar to Instagram or Facebook. Come on, let's be real. How many of us know that we don't post our worst moments and our worst thoughts and our worst attitudes on Facebook and Instagram? We put the best. We might be having a most terrible day, but we put on a picture and it is smiling. It is exciting. It's got the filter, you know, covering up that zit and that blemish and whatever it might be. Come on now. Am I in the right place here today? All right. God gave us this book and he decided I'm going to show the good and the bad. I'm going to show their highlights and their successes, but I want to also demonstrate and show their blunders and their issues. And so this morning, if you could, just open up your Bible with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17, because I want to look at this person who honestly failed and succeeded, and this person, though, has been given this title, this accolade, this this designation as a man after God's own heart. And so if a person can fail spectacularly and yet succeed incredibly and he still is called a man after God's own heart, I feel like there's some lessons, there's some things that we can mind, some truths we can take from his beloved story. So 1 Samuel chapter 17, I want us to look at the story of David and Goliath. And we're going to look at just a few verses. This is not the extensive lesson on him and his story, but just a few things this morning as we contemplate the pressures, the gigantic challenges and stresses that might come into our lives if you're there say amen amen Amen. and we got here verse 32 we'll start there and we'll work backwards and forwards and all of that so it says here and david said to saul let no man's heart fail because of him your servant will go and fight with him this philistine for you are um i'm sorry and Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, and he took a lamb from the flock, I went after him, and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And he, if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed him with his armor, and he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Father, I thank you for your word, and I just pray that the truth of your message would Lord God speak into our hearts. Holy Spirit, use me, speak to us in your precious name. Amen. In 1st Samuel chapter 17, there is in this land of Canaan, this region where God had given the people of Israel the promised land, There was this group of people named the Philistines and their army had mounted and they're ready to attack the Israelites. There was a war that had been brewing and and tensions that had flared up over the seasons and, and, and ages. And so the Philistines stood on one mountain and the Israelites stood on another. And in between them, there was a valley where the battle would take place. And every single day, there would be this man, this giant, this warrior who would come and challenge and taunt the people of God. And instead of going into battle, as the people were intimidated, this giant whom the Bible records, depending on the the, the text, the original text that you read from, there's different measurements used. He could have been anywhere from 6.6 feet tall to 9.6 feet tall. Hey, for those of you who need a reference, that is bigger than Shaq, all right? Bigger than Shaq. This man was a giant. And this giant had been trained in the ways of war since he was a child. He had been fighting all of his life and he was very good at it. Do not provoke someone to violence who's perfected, who's given his life to the perfection of that violence. This was this man. And this man was ready to war with the Israelites. Every day he would come and he would challenge the Israelites saying, Hey, send me your best warrior. I will fight and they will fight. And whoever wins takes it all. It was interesting that in that context, in that ancient Near East culture, they would believe, especially some of these other nations that were, you know, um, they, they, believed in, 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 uh, they believed in many gods and gods of regions. And they had so many uh, deities that they worshipped that they believed that when two people came representing an army, that the gods of that region would actually war through them and the bigger God, the stronger God, would win out. And so when Goliath came taunting the Israelites, he was essentially saying, hey, I believe that I am here, the representative of the God I serve, and he will give me victory over your puny God. And so I am a giant, powerful, come and fight, and if I win, you guys all submit to me. And so the nation is there facing every single day, this giant's taunts, with the challenge of winner takes all, and they are gripped with fear. Gripped with fear. Paralyzed. Unmovable. They do not move forward. They do not take on the challenge. They do not rise up to the issue. They're gripped with fear. And so the first observation I want to make this morning as we're considering this giant and his ta- taunts His words is that problem-solving requires proper perspective. If we are going to encounter giants, we need the proper perspective. You know, have you ever uh, seen that comic strip of Snoopy? It's actually called the Peanuts comic strip. You got Linus, you got Charlie Brown, you got a whole bunch of of folks and Snoopy the dog, right? And uh, there's one comic strip that Linus goes and he says this, There's no problem so big or so complicated... That it can't be run away from. There's no problem so big or complicated that we can't tuck tail and book it out of here. There's no problem. There is an escape route. We should run. And this story, this story of David and Goliath is a story about a nation of average citizens. A nation of people who were right there running away from a problem although they stood on that mountain still listening day after day to the taunts of this uncircumcised Philistine, this man who was, as the Bible says, challenging the people of God. It's a story of great appeal because at its heart, it's a story of an underdog, and we all love underdogs, don't we? We love it when the little guy wins over the big guy. The little guy who everyone expects not to be able to do it goes and blows all of our expectations and, and does that which seems impossible. And so David and Goliath, if there ever was a story of an underdog, that would be it. Imagine what you know, uh, people who, who, who take bets in Las Vegas would have given in terms of the, uh, of the odds for this fight, huh? What would the spread be over this situation? Uh, there's no way. There's no way that David can pull this off. And it's not a matter of if he's going to get knocked out. Let's just decide right now, here and there, where are we going to bury this guy? What are the, what's the funeral arrangements going to be like? What are we going to do? And so in that situation, it was an underdog story. But yet one thing that I find incredible when I read the story, and every time I see it, it always hits me, is that David had a different perspective. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, perspective matters? Perspective matters. See, David saw something that everybody else did not see. His brothers saw only the sword that was in Goliath's hand. They saw the spear that was in his other hand. And David, when he saw, he saw a sling that was in his own. A sword in the giants and a sling in David's. His brothers felt intimidated because no one had ever fought a giant like this before. And yet the boy David, this shepherd boy, felt confident because he had already fought and vanquished ferocious foes. God had protected him against the lion and the bear. And yet David saw something that they did not see. He would give him strength again, God of all power, his God, his Lord, his Savior, his Redeemer would give him strength once again. And that was the perspective that he held on to. A man was walking through a park and he saw a baseball game ensuing. It was a little league baseball game. And so he stopped and he asked the youngsters, Hey, what's the score? What's the score of the game? And the little boy speaks out. He says, Hey, we're losing 18 to nothing. Wow. I must say, You don't look discouraged for such a score, the man said. And the little boy turned around without missing a beat. He says, why should we be discouraged? We haven't come to bat yet. Why should we be discouraged? It's the first inning and we haven't even taken the bat. See, David had a perspective. When we face a problem, when he faced that giant, he took a step back and he looked at it from a different perspective see God has not even come to bat yet God has not taken the bat and he's not at the plate he has not hit and swung that home run yet and so why should I be discouraged see I want you to look at your problems church you might have one do you Do you have an issue, a giant, a situation, a challenge? You might have something that you're going through. Can you stop and look at it from a different perspective? Can you size it up and look at it for a second? Can you start asking some questions in the midst of your situation? Have not such problems been solved before? What great problem has God already solved for you? Is this as big as the God I serve? I think some of these questions are instrumental as we start contemplating the giant that stands before us. Because check this out, look at this, what the Bible says. If we go to this book, Isaiah 40, 28 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Hallelujah. Psalms 146.6, He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in it. He remains faithful forever. Not just yesterday, not just for a moment, not just for a month, not just in this year, 2022, he remains faithful forever. Jeremiah 32:27 Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Matthew 19, 26, somebody better give me a witness here. He says, this is impossible for man, Jesus said, but with God, all things are possible. Is there a giant that is before you? Let me ask you the question, has God come to bat yet? Has he come to bat? Where are you looking? Look at the greatness of your God. To a boy, a bear was greater than an obstacle of a giant. To a boy, a bear was greater than that giant was to this army. And so when David looked at his God, he knew, my God, when he steps to bat, something is going to happen. All of us, we we come and we face giants, don't we? You know, our giant may be, our Goliath may be physical, a disease, a deficiency, a deformity. Our Goliath, he may be emotional, a depression, a distress, a dependency. Our Goliath, he may be financial. Maybe it's a debt, it's a discharge, it's a downturn. I don't know what it might be for you. Our Goliath might be spiritual, a doubt, a doctrine, a devil. I don't know what it may be. It may come in the shape of a person, it may come in the shape of a situation, it may come in the shape of a memory, even. I don't know. But whatever that giant is, facing them is always intimidating. Looking them squarely in the eye and dealing with them as they stand before us is always daunting. But it all changes when we gain God's perspective. When we shift our focus and saw when he was there, when he looked at that giant and the troops as they stood there on that mountainside, looking across into that valley with that giant man standing with that huge stature, with all of his armed forces there. They looked out at him. They were challenged. They were challenged. They were completely shaking in their boots. Why? Because they looked at him from human eyes. When David uh, looked at him, he looked from a different perspective. Saul and his troops looked at Goliath and they saw a giant too big to hit. When David looked at that giant, he saw a giant too big to miss. When I swing, I'm going to hit him. And when Saul saw it, when I swing, I will never reach him for his reach is greater than mine. His power is greater David saw from a different perspective. So church, I'm asking you, do you have any giants in your life this morning? Can you look at them? Can you look at them? Can you face them with a new renewed perspective? Has your God come to bat yet? When he does, how will that giant measure up? Because I believe that Whether he was 6.6 or he was 9.6, that is still a lot smaller than my God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Secondly, when I see this story and I look at his response, I look at this interchange, there's so much before, so much after. I see this that their great opportunities lie in the ordinary. This is something that I just can't shake as I read the scriptures and I see this happening time and time again throughout the scriptures. Verse 33, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth and he has been a man of war from his youth. Friends, David did not set out trying to go viral. Okay, unlike some of these videos, I I, I find it hysterical how some people on these TikToks and Instagrams and Reels and YouTube, whatever you're using, and you see these short videos, they show up to a restaurant or to a place of business and they already have an agenda. They have something that they're trying to do. They, They already show up recording and they're gonna push someone's buttons. And then there, they're gonna try to record and catch a reaction so that they can post about some agenda or speak about something that they feel is wrong with the world. And they show up in that place looking to cause some contention and looking to get their 15 minutes of fame they're trying to go viral david did not set out to go viral he wasn't strategizing on how to become a hero or how to have his name in lights or how to pick a fight david was definitely not going out of his way to search for a giant hello some of us are like you know i want to find that giant i want to slay. I want, you know david was going about his life he was a young boy going about his life He was merely on the battleground to take some food for his brothers. If we go back to verse 17 and 18, and Jesse said to David, Jesse being David's dad, he says this, Take for your brothers an ephph of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also, take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well. And bring some token from them. Hey, basically, David, go to the field. Find out if your brothers are still alive and if everything's okay. Check in on them. Bring them some food and and tell them a little bit about what's happening at home. Find out about what's happening in the battlefield. And you know what? Just do this for me, David. Hurry up. Thank you. Bye. Go about your day. Do this errand for me. Nothing spectacular. Nothing out of the ordinary. Just a young, unassuming boy running a routine errand for his father. And what I find incredible here is the fact that life's great victories sometimes blossom as also life's great challenges and stresses and issues blossom out of everyday opportunities, out of everyday mundane situations. Those who recite the verse, you have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. We, these who recite this verse need to give some attention. More attention to the faithfulness of the little as opposed to the potential of the much. There is great opportunities in ordinary things, in the ordinary day to day. Consider the, the, the contrast between these two men. The contrast within this story. As we just juxtapose David and Goliath. On one side, we have Goliath, a giant, a champion, nine feet tall, donning a hundred. We read the story, 125 pounds worth of armor. That is a lot. 125 pounds. I'm about 160. I don't weigh that much. I'm about 160. This guy, he has almost my full body weight in terms of armor. How much does this man weigh? How much, like how strong is this dude? He is powerful. He is wearing an armor that consists of a bronze helmet, a javelin, and leggings. In his hand there's a spear. His, the, his spear, the, the tip of his spear weighs by itself 15 pounds. How much does the rest of it weigh? How much does the the, the sword in his hand weigh? And not only that, out in front of him, there is a whole other person carrying a shield for this giant. So imagine that. David looks out and he sees a man with all this armor, with all this strength, this incredible stature, with another person. And his whole job is to hold up a humongous shield to cover the humongous body that is behind him. Imagine that. And David shows up. What a sight this must have been. On the other hand, David, the youngest of eight brothers believed to have been around five, five or so. If you look at the, the context and what the commentators say, a shepherd boy, a, a guy who, who you know, worked out in the field taking care of sheep. A guy who, you know, Saul, King Saul at one point hires to actually play the harp because he was a great harp player. So a guy who is poetically inclined and musically inclined, who maybe, you know, when you think about music and, and, and poetry, you're not really thinking about, oh yeah, let's send that guy to the front lines to face this guy who's donning 125 pounds worth of armor, who's been trained for war. David, carrying a little staff, a pouch, a sling, five smooth stones, an ordinary boar living an ordinary life and armed with ordinary tools. It's easy to get mesmerized, isn't it, by the spectacular. We look at that and say, wow, look at, look at Goliath, a sight to see. We look at David and say, eh, huh? eh, huh? <laughs> why are you here? <laughs> What's going on? It's easy for us to get mesmerized by the spectacular that we lose sight and lose interest in the mundane. Easy to get so over the ordinary that we miss the extraordinary contained within it. That we get so focused, we think about this, you know, stop and think about this Bible. Think about the stories that God's given us. We get so over the ordinary, we might miss out. The extraordinary contained within. In Joshua chapter 6, if we read this Bible, we sang about it earlier today. Something as ordinary as a walk and a shout brought about the conquest of a city. As the people obeyed God, obediently marching seven times around the city of Jericho, the walls, God brought those walls down. Something as uh, um, ordinary and mundane as a walk. Oh, but God, no, no, I need to solve this issue. And Lord Jesus, I need a complex business strategy. I need like a five-multi-point plan. I need a vision for like the next 10 years. I need this strategy that's been vetted and, and, and all of this stuff. I need something incredibly complex, spectacular, and awesome, exciting, and buzzworthy. Can you go for a walk? Think about this, Matthew chapter 14, a simple lunch of five loaves and two fishes feeds a multitude of 5,000 plus people. A simple meager lunch given to Jesus brought nourishment to a multitude. The ordinary of five loaves and two fishes. Somebody must have packed a lunch. Wow, I am today I am going to bring about an incredible miracle that people 2,000 plus years from today are going to be speaking about it and talking about it. And it's going to be recorded in several passages of the Bible. It's going to be a story that's going to be awesome. How are you going to do that? I'm packing a lunch. I woke up early today while, you know, the kids are still sleeping to pack their school lunch. I'm going to do this incredibly spectacular thing called bagging a lunch. And the reason I bring this up, church, is because we sometimes get so concerned about something spectacular, something awesome, something magnificent and great, that we miss out the opportunity of the miracle and the challenge and and something shifting and changing and breaking in our lives because we want something so spectacular and God to move and the fire to come and the fire to to speak, the earthquake to to come through, the windstorm and all these different things, and yet God is is doing something in the mundane. We know this when it comes to dieting. We know this when it comes to exercise. We know this when it comes to success. It's not like we have to have some spectacular revelation and do something outside of the norm you know you want to lose weight we got to control what we eat we want to lose weight we got to control how much we move and what we exercise we want to control it we got to figure out what is happening and affecting this physical body of ours we want to be you know fired up and excited we need to actually go to sleep we need to get some rest we need to have a purpose. So, so there's some things that we've already figured out. And you know what? Nobody likes it. Why? Because it's so incredibly mundane and boring. It's ordinary. How many of you have clicked on those videos on YouTube? Let's be honest here. Okay, we're in church. You've clicked on those videos or you've watched those little specials on TV. And it's like, you know what? This new secret way for you to lose that pesky weight. Go back to high school skinny. And be excited. You know, get ready for the beach this year and, and, and be fired up. You're, you're going to hit your goal. Or you know what? If, if you're on a different road... And you're trying to look for a different perspective. How are you going to actually get that promotion and advance and grow your career and have a wonderful, awesome career? Or, or what about this one? You're going to have the best retirement possible. You're going to pick the right strategies, and it's going to be the best retirement plan because you got the perfect mix. How many of you have seen those videos? Hey, click here. Listen now. I'll give you the secrets. It's going to be this and that and whatever. You've seen those videos before? How many of us actually stop to watch some of them, and then by the time you start listening and they start breaking things down, you're like, huh, this again? <laughs> but I already knew that. I can't be on the seafood diet. I see food and I eat it, and I have to change some things. I knew that. Hey, we lose sight of the fact that in the ordinary, there's the opportunity for the great. And so when it comes to having an incredible life, an incredible, you know, powerful, intimate relationship with the Lord, let me tell you, church, God is not just going to speak to us on the burning bush, but God is calling us to every single day speak to us. And in the ordinary, everyday mundane, getting on our knees, praying, seeking the Lord, reading this book, spending time with him, coming to church and having fellowship with our brothers and sisters, ironing, sharpening iron. We are going to experience the incredible, fulfilling, vibrant, intimate life with the Lord, relationship with God that moves mountains, that breaks giants' power, and Lord God shifts us to experience the Lord in the new way, fresh way, where others look at us and say, I want what you have. But it's not going to be. God gave me a download. See, Paul, when he experienced that light on the Damascus Road, Acts chapter nine, when Paul was going to do something that was ordinary and common for him, he was pursuing Christians. He was going after those who were of the way because these people were perverting what he believed to be the right way of experiencing God in the Jewish practice and heritage. When he was going on that road, And the Lord spoke to him. Jesus cried out to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Lord, because he recognized there's no voice that comes from heaven. There's no light that blinds me and knocks me down my high horse. That doesn't speak to me. That is not God. That is God. And when he said, Lord, Lord, God, who are you? He says, I am Jesus whom you persecute. When that happens, we pass the page. He goes to meet Ananias, and that's an incredible story. God speaks to Ananias. He speaks to Saul. He tells Saul, go into this uh, city and go into this street. You're going to meet a man there. He's going to pray for you. He's going to restore your sight. Before Saul gets there, God speaks to Ananias, and he says, hey, go to this place. There's going to be a man. His name is Saul. Oh, I know Saul. He's been persecuting us. Yeah, go here. He's, you're going to pray for him. I'm going to pray for him? This guy's coming here to put me in jail. He's coming here to lock me He's coming here to persecute me. And the Lord speaks to Ananias and says, I want you to do that. Hey, what we don't see is the fact that Ananias has spent time honing his relationship with the Lord to hear from God. What we don't see is that Paul has spent years under Gamaliel learning and and learning how to be faithful, his zeal, his passion for God. And he was just misplaced knowing that God is the God of the Lord. Our God is one. And he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, who was the word, who the word was with God and is God and, and. That is what Paul finally realized and what we don't see, what we don't realize, that in between that encounter with him restored with his sight and the next time we see Paul, there are three years, three ordinary, mundane, regular, every single day, routine, melancholy, monotonous, got to go through the motions, of Paul spending time studying the word of God, praying to the Lord, learning how to truly understand the way and growing in relationship with God. There are three years without a single mention of Saul. There is three years without him performing a miracle, without him going and seeing this spectacular thing happen. There are three years that is just ordinary spending time with God. And we look at the pages, we look at the verses, we go from one to the other and say, boom, it's the highlights. It's this incredible, spectacular ride of mountain to mountain, glory to glory. And yet there is all of the mundane in between. We need to understand that the ordinary has the potential for the extraordinary, and God hides it all within that for us. And so, what I want you to Just contemplate as you're facing giants, as you're facing your everyday routine, as you're going by and just fulfilling your duties of your job, your family. God is gonna embed opportunities for him to show up powerfully in your midst. He's gonna show opportunities where there's gonna be challenges within your own sphere, your own everyday mundane routine life that the Holy Spirit is going to allow you to encounter giants and challenges that's gonna refine your faith and test your resolve and prove your character and grow your dependency upon the Lord in everyday opportunities, mundane, ordinary, God's room for the spectacular is there. My question is, did you miss it because you weren't looking? Can you see the places where God might be at work? Even more importantly, is there somewhere in your ordinary day-to-day life which he, might be wanting to use you to do his work. David went for a walk to run and drop off some cheese and God used him to change a nation. Every day, routine. That gives me excitement. Lord, as my kid is crying right now in the middle of the night, and this is mostly my wife, but sometimes I hear it and I wake up. All right, to my credit, I do wake up sometimes. I do help her out when I can Um, in this changing of this diaper, God. What is it that you're trying to speak or do? And Lord Jesus, dealing with this phone call, God, in, in, in meeting this employee or dealing with that situation, God, what is it that you're trying to bring about? What are you trying to teach me and use me for? God, in this interchange at this store as I pick up my lunch, what is it that you want me to deposit in that person's life? God, what in the ordained or ordinary, mundane do you want to do through me? The next thing that I see here, if we go and look at verses 38 through 40, is that you need to fight in your own armor and you got to let others do the same. We need to learn how to fight in our own armor and let others do the same. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested it. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off, and then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. See, King Saul was willing to give David something, but he wasn't willing to go and fight. He was unwilling to fight the giant, but he was willing to lend David his armor. David, however, refused the invitation. He said, no, it's not for me. This does not fit me. What Saul did comes quite naturally to many of us, doesn't it? Let's just be honest for a second. Our temptation is to put our armor on someone else, isn't it? Parents, you got two kids. We expect one child to act just like the other one, don't we? We might not say it, we might not do it, but sometimes subliminally, sometimes un- unconsciously, we put on the expectations of one child because one child did this better, one child did this, and, and you didn't have to deal with the stress and the strain and the pressure that you're now having to face because this other child is different. So we, trend, we tend to put the armor of one over the other. We want our new boss to be just like the old one that we loved so much. But unfortunately, if we have these expectations, we are actually having a prescription for disappointment and maybe even disaster to come into our lives. Not only that, do we put on the armor uh, that we own on someone else, we also do the opposite. We easily are tempted to take on someone else's armor, to put on someone else's attire. We look up to somebody, we admire someone, and we want to follow after their footsteps. We adopt their strategies, we mimic their behaviors, and we go ahead and start doing that which they do to reproduce their results within our own context. We are tempted to put on someone else's armor. And yet even if their armor is a perfect size fit, it's not our own. And here's the issue. Their armor wasn't made for you, and you were not made for it. God designed me. He designed you uniquely as the scripture says, fearfully and wonderfully made. Before every one of your days were, I wrote them down in my book. God created us to be his workmanship, created for his purpose. Each and every one of us. As Esther heard the words from her uncle Mordecai, she says, you, what if God has set you apart for such a time as this? God has made each and every one of us uniquely and he has a plan and a purpose. And so when we put on someone else's armor, at the very least, we are slowing ourselves down. At the very worst, it's gonna take us out. You don't need to look like someone else, sound like someone else, or act like somebody else. Why? Because God loves you perfectly for who you are. Can somebody say amen? God loves you perfectly and wants you passionately because he loves you exactly as you are. And David was faithful to hone the skills that God had given him. He was faithful to say, this is what God has made me to be and this is where I'm going to flow. I don't need your armor, it doesn't fit me. If I use your armor, I'm gonna trip myself. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fall down on the battlefield. This guy's gonna take me out. It's gonna be the end of the story and the Bible is gonna look drastically different from this moment on. He might not have known all of that in that very moment, but he had enough awareness to say, that is not my armor, and I need to wear my own. See, our Lord only expects us to hone the skills, to utilize the gifts, to to, to develop that which he places within our hands, what he places within our lives. The question that God is always asking is, what are you going to do with what you've got Whether that is a sling in your hand, a lunch like the little boy, an empty net like the fisherman that Jesus called, or a towel in the hand of the master, or it is simply a staff like in the hands of Moses. What is it that you're going to do? Because God's request is very simple. Are you going to give me what you've got? Are you going to give me all of you and all that I've placed within you? And that is where you're going to flow from, wearing your armor and experiencing what I've called you to See, God's gifted each and every one of us. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, I'm gifted. I'm gifted. He's gifted each and every one of us, and he's given us something that is natural to us, something that is successfully employed when we step out into it. He's given that to us, and so it is our job, our passion. As we pursue God and we learn more about him, we fall in love with who he is, his nature, his character, his promises. It's also our job to plumb out and to search and to to find out in awareness. and as we seek him, how he's made us to be and what he's called us to do and the work, the, the 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 thing that he set out before us that we would press on towards the mark and the high calling of Jesus Christ, as Paul tells us, that we have to do the work and ask the questions, God, what is it, Siri, I'm not talking to you, what is it that we are called to do? So what can you do to find out what your spiritual gift is? Just ask yourself two simple questions. Some of us make this very complex, but let me tell you, in the ordinary, in the ordinary, there's a great blessing and benefit. How do we find out? Look at two areas of your life. Ask yourself this question, what comes naturally to me? Ask yourself that question. What comes naturally to me? Right now, I'm going through a process with a coach. I, I hired a coach, and, you know, I'm just, this is another lead pastor at another Assemblies of God Church, and I'm excited to work with him. And, you know, we spent some money and, and um, spent some time together, and this is something that I'm doing because I want to get better. I want to search, and, and we've been working through just sharing story and plumbing out and trying to figure out awareness, and I'm trying to figure out how God made me to be. And in that process, I got a meeting coming up this week, and we're going to sit down and analyze everything that I shared and all the work that he did. And now he's mapping everything out and saying, this is how God has built you to be. Why? Because I'm asking this question. I'm in search for this question. God, what comes naturally to me? And sometimes we just don't ask ourselves that question. We get caught up in the everyday, in the busyness, in all the things that are vying out for our attention. What comes naturally to me? And then secondly, ask yourself this question. What is it that you do that you see God blessing? God, what comes naturally? What gives me excitement? What, what, what flows as I'm doing it? But then, God, I see that I, when I do this, your blessings is upon that. When I do this over here, your blessings is not upon that. So where I flow in this area, Lord, your blessing, you're, you're making it expand. You're making it profitable. You're bringing results out of this. God, maybe right there I need to tap into more of this. Maybe you've called me to wear this armor and not that armor. So ask yourself that question. Now jump with me and what we'll wrap I will invite the team to come on up. Again, like I said, just, just some ideas, some lessons that are jumping out of the page from this story in this section of the scriptures. If you look at 1st Samuel 17:38. And David put his hand in his bag and he took out a stone and he slung it and he struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and with the stone. And he struck the Philistine and he killed him. When David encountered that giant, his zeal, his passion for the Lord... That taunt that he heard was not sitting right within his soul. This man, who is he to call out the living God and the armies of the living God? David and Goliath is a story of fear overcoming a nation, but faith overcoming a person. And changing the outcome and the trajectory of that nation. Many people chose to live in fear instead of living by faith in that moment. And we would love to see ourselves as David, but we can be David, I say to you, if we would shift our perspective, if we would just start to plumb and search out the ordinary, and if we would just allow ourselves the freedom, the flexibility to wear our own armor, And not compare ourselves to someone else. Not become someone else. But step into that which God has called us to be. I see that David saw a buffoon who was insulting God. And needed to be corrected. While the army and the king saw something that could not be changed. My question to you this morning. Which one would you rather be? Do you want to be the army sitting on the sidelines? Looking at your challenge and your giant again and again day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, unchanged, unmoving, crippled by fear, paralyzed by the impossibility? Or would you rather be the David in the story? You can face your giants, church, and I want you to just stop and contemplate as we respond this morning. What giant are you afraid to take on today? Is he truly bigger than the God that you serve? Can you stand with me as we contemplate? Is he bigger? I don't know what it is. Maybe for somebody that giant is the impossibility of the immigration system here in America. In your current situation, maybe for someone it's the impossibility of a child who's been estranged and no longer wants any connection with you. No opportunities for life live together. Maybe for you, it might be the impossible giant of the word divorce or the tension of a possible divorce. I don't know what that giant is. Maybe it's it's a terminal disease. But I just gotta tell you this, that there is a giant that is greater than all giants where the heaven is his throne room and the earth is his footstool and that giant is our God, our Savior, who is greater than all, bigger than all, powerful to do all and he is for you he's got a plan and a purpose for you so today i just want to invite you to shift your perspective to to just seek him in the ordinary and ask him lord god how have you made me to be in the midst of this lord use it to slay use it to change this circumstance and to experience your great miracle and your mercies If you want prayer for any one thing, I want to invite you to come to this altar. There is something about the altar where we spend time seeking God. David, as he honed his skills out in the backcountry, before the bear ever came, the lion ever showed up, he was there practicing his slingshot. He was practicing his aim. This is time for us to step in and say, Lord, I'm gonna hone in as I step out of this place and I encounter that giant. Father, you're going to help me win this battle. So I invite you to come to this altar, spend some time in prayer. And as we close our eyes and we just prepare our hearts to pray and respond, if there's any person, you've never encountered this love that God has, what he's ordained and determined, that the worth that is embedded and available that you retain. You've never come into relationship with such a God. You've never met his son, Jesus, who is there saying everything is impossible with him, without God, but everything is possible with him. If you've never committed your heart, your life, to a relationship with the Lord, to experience this mountain-moving, giant-slaying God, I invite you today to just get your heart ready. The Bible tells us that we're gonna spend eternity with him if we choose to have relationship with him. But if we choose not to, we'll spend eternity in a different place and it's not pleasant. A place where the fire never ends, the worm never dies. A place of gnashing of teeth and torment where there is complete and total separation from God. The place where for eternity, without respite, without a change, You experience rejection and isolation, removal from God. Total, total isolation. He doesn't want that for us. God is waiting. He is patient and long-suffering so that all shall be saved. He desires for you to have a relationship with him. So if you have never come into a relationship with this God, with this loving Father... I invite you today to change that. All you gotta do is start a journey and and declare your faith in him. Because if we declare with our lips and we purpose it within our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he came, he lived, he died a perfect life without ever sinning. He died on our place on that cross. But not only that, he rose from the grave through the resurrection power of God. And now he reigns with the Father. If we place our hope in him, our faith in him, He brings salvation into our lives. He changes our lives. He changes our eternity. If you want to make a commitment like that today, I also invite you to come to this altar and spend some time in prayer and let us know. Father, I thank you for your word, as simple as it may be, but powerful in its application. Lord, I pray that you would bless each person at the sound of my voice here this morning. That, Lord God, no giant will continue to wreak havoc in their lives. No challenge will, Lord God, mount itself to be greater than who you are. The God who has all power, all knowledge within his sphere, within his hands. God, I pray, bless your children. Fill them with your hope, Lord God, and lead them according to your promises in Jesus' mighty name. May God bless you. May he strengthen you. Have an incredible and powerful week.